Good morning, everyone. It's uh, August the 14th, 2009, and I'm so lucky to be in Regina for the first time in my life. I'm looking around at the wonderful prairie and uh, crops, etc., and more, mostly the the people that I've seen in this in this town. Really interesting. Have a huge commitment to, to community and uh, and to the world, I believe. So um, I am sitting here with an alumni from QSO days. Uh, his name is Robert McLaren, and Robert. Tell me something, where did you serve with QSO? I served for two years in, in Ghana, in the Tarko Secondary School. It's in the western region of Ghana, uh -huh. about, oh, about an hour's drive inland, or 50 or 60 miles in from Takarati. And what did you, how long were you there? I was there for, well, I actually arrived late in terms of a two-year appointment, but it was a two-year stint. and. Let's see, November, October, November of 1962 to July of 1964. You were one of our early uh, volunteers yeah, out in the field. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you taught at the secondary school. Were you, uh, what university did you graduate from? Graduated from Mount Allison University down in New Brunswick. Oh, you were from there. Well, I grew up in Montreal. Montreal, okay. I came so, out to Regina in 1967. I thought I'd stay for a couple of years, and here, here I am. And here you are. All right. Um, so um, you leave. How did you find out about QSO? At that I think time? it was actually my mother read about it in the summer of '62, and I think it was in a Reader's Digest. It just had a description of this new program. She told me about it. She had been a missionary herself to Puerto Rico and Labrador, and so and and it always encouraged us to travel and to do good things at the same time. And uh, so then I put in an application that summer, but being the summer of 62, it was too late. I mean, it, things were already organized for that fall. And they told me to try again in 63. Do you remember who the head of the program was at the time? Yeah, Bill McQuinney. Bill McQuinney. And I've just recently heard about him, that Bill McQuinney was part of the class of 1961 and came back early to help run the organization. Mm -hmm. So he was a volunteer in the field that yeah, came think, back. Yeah, in 61 they had a, a program in India, I think yes. that was the original one, and then in 62 they broadened into more, into other places. So in 62 it was in Ghana that you went. Mm -hmm. What a shock that must have been to have gone from Montreal, that's where you were, right, mm -hmm. to Ghana. Did you go on your own? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. How old were you, may I ask? Um, I would have been 22 that summer. 22 years old. So single, you go out to Ghana, and uh, what was the school like? What was the accommodation it like? Was, it was a new school, mm -hmm. and uh, so each year that we were there, a new, a new, eventually they had five grades in the secondary school, but they only had up to three when we, we got there. In fact, they might even only had two, and it was just... The next year that they added the third grade, the mm -hmm. third form, as they called them. It's the British system, yeah, the right? British system, yeah. Okay. Form, forms, form three. I can't remember us having a form four, so we must have only, we must have been form two and then form three, form one and two and then form one, two, three in uh -huh. the second year. And what did you teach? I taught uh, English, yeah. English, mostly grammar, 
Okay. And writing composition, and uh, well, mathematics they call it, arithmetic, algebra, geometry. Now, was that your training at university? That, actually, that was. I majored in mathematics and minored in English. So. Oh my goodness. So at least I was in the right areas. But did anybody teach you how to teach before you no, went there? No. Who was that like preparing a curriculum? That's um, a whole different field, isn't it? I guess it is. I just took it one day at a time, and probably the first semester or first term, I just looked to see where they, where they were in the textbook and make sure I was two or three pages ahead of them, I guess. I <laughs> That's the hard, great. The hardest part, as, as probably everybody would know, is you get into the classroom and there's 30 brown faces looking at you, and it just the stereotype is right there. They all look like the same person. And then, of course, within a couple of days, they're, they're all different to you, and you, you pick that up. And that's the real shock when you just stand in the classroom for the first time. And, and just looking at these faces. I can't tell one from a different, you know, one from another. But you sure you, learned that. Oh, you learn quickly, sure. I we have the same people. problem when I'm looking at a classroom of white people. Oh, I can't I, I, I've, heard, I've heard exactly the same. I've heard Chinese people say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> sure, I mean, I, everybody does it. Breaks down stereotypes and, and allows you to see. So where did you, did you stay? Where did you live? Um, they, 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 they had new, what they call bungalows, mm -hmm. two-bedroom um, cement uh, bungalows for, for the uh, school teachers, mm -hmm. at least from the overseas teachers, was, or for graduate teachers. Mm -hmm. They had little cubby holes out in the back for um, for, teacher, for local Ghanaian teachers who had not finished, uh, or not gone to university, but had just gone to middle school or something. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then so the, uh, there, was, there was a family there from from Cuso in, in Ghana, the, the Matthews in one of the bungalows. They they had a son, Martha and Bob Matthews. Martha and Bob Matthews, okay. And they went back to Toronto afterwards, and Bob went back to the United the University of Toronto, I think. Actually. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And then in another bungalow, they had um, Ken Mackay from Winnipeg. Okay. And he had an empty bedroom in his bungalow, so I moved in with him. Wow. In, into the house anyway. And there was a third one, the third house that had been built. I'm just trying to think who was in there. Um, there was nobody from Cuso. Uh -huh. uh, I think, it, it, yeah, I guess it was a, a Ghanaian teacher, a Ghanaian graduate teacher who was there. Well, from what I hear uh, now, in the, from an alumni, alumni that's just returned from Ghana, mm -hmm. says that uh, because of some of the efforts of the early CUSO volunteers and, and others that went into the field, that uh, there are many, many that Ghanaian, there's lots of Ghanaian teachers, so uh, now in our recruitment we look for people that have experienced teaching teachers or educators, mm -hmm. and uh, you ended up being an educator at the university in the end, didn't you? But, but again, university professors never get taught, well they, they're starting to be taught now how to teach. Yes. But when I started in the mid-60s, again, you were just plunked in, in front of a group of students <laughs> in a classroom and, and told to pontificate or, you know, yes. te teach what you're supposed to be teaching, and, and that was it. So, um, but what we, we did do a lot, though, in between the Peace Corps, everybody soon knew everybody else at the, the different schools. The Peace Corps was in Ghana that year, well, they had been in Ghana the year before as well, and so we soon knew 
Um, we had a network of people. And very often we would meet at somebody's house in the weekend. I mean, one, one of the things that Kwame Nkrumah had done, mm -hmm. was he spent this huge sum of money that was um, cocoa revenues that the British government had uh, kept for him for Ghana's independence, 560 million dollars, 560 million pounds, I believe. Wow. Yeah, and he, he built hospitals and he built schools and he paved roads. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, he then expected the price of cocoa to provide the, the you know, to cover the expenses year after year after year. Oh, uh, the operating expenses. And uh, I could, my own, my own belief is that he got attacked by some of the Western countries who manipulated the price of cocoa, and they soon got into trouble. That, but he had the best of intentions as, in terms of what he was going to do with that money. So all these new schools were out there, the new, and there were paved roads to link them together. Mm -hmm. There were hospitals in the, in the communities, and so it was quite easy to get around on the weekend. And, and wow! And, and then, and then when you get in there, I mean, sure, you go to the beach and you you play ball and you do other kinds of things, but you'd also just sit around and, and talk about, you know, what are you doing in the classroom and, and how are you how are you getting this over? And of course, those teachers that taught math would, would sort of gather together because they had their own ah. problems. I mean, one of the problems we had was teaching negative numbers, and so obviously, from a North American perspective, you say, "Well, you know, like it's in the refrigerator." Well, what's a refrigerator? I mean, no, you know, most of the kids had never seen a refrigerator. They didn't know what snow or ice was. I mean, the idea of it. Negative. So, so, so you, you couldn't get what you might think of as negative. I remember it just yeah. was way over their heads. I mean, <laughs> That's and interesting, uh, you know, but that really sounds well. It's Africa is so positive; it can't think of a negative number. <laughs> oh well, maybe that's it. Yes. <laughs> uh, but in your relationships with other N NGOs and with um, Peace Corps, I gather that you met the love of your life there. Yes. Yes. What's her name? Susan. <coughs> Susan. She was in the Peace Corps from uh, from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, what did she? What was she doing there? <laughs> she was teaching, um, well, science or biology. Okay. She, we, we kid her to this day. She also was teaching French. <laughs> well, apparently, when she was driving with her headmaster from someplace out to their school in Exim, the headmaster said, "And, and uh, what subjects did you take?" It. She went to Mills College in in Oakland, California. And uh, she said, well, um, French was one of my subjects. And he said, oh, and being the headmaster had the British model in his mind, so that if you said you, you studied French, that meant you studied three or four or five years of French or whatever it took you to get a degree in Oxford or Cambridge or whatever in French. And of course, that wasn't her. You know, she had one or two courses in French, and she's uh, <laughs> not an expert in French by any means, but the first, the first semester she, she taught French. Oh. Um, somebody else was teaching Latin and Greek. Mm. Wow. You, might, you might ask why people were teaching Latin and Greek. Well, because somebody had studied Latin and Greek, and so that's what they were offering at, at, at the exam. <laughs> well, Latin comes school. in handy in biology when you're talking about genus, species, and trying to name things. It helps. <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> that's about it. Yeah. Um, so um, the years you spent there, you got you got married. Um, you got married when you got back, Yes, huh? yeah, we didn't decide to get married until this, both of us were in our second year there, so we thought, well, was, our families would like to come to the weddings and so on, so we 
came back to Duluth and got married in Duluth, Minnesota. So, so whilst you were there, you did some great publicity, and then you uh, came back to Canada and reapplied to go with QSO, but then continued on your career in in Canada. And I gather you went to Cornell. Yes, we came. We came back and got married and, and drove to Cornell from the, from Duluth, actually. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, although I'd grown up driving in Montreal, and if you can drive in Montreal, you can drive anywhere in the world. Yes. Two years in Ghana did not prepare me for uh, <laughs> going, going around Buffalo at uh, 5 o'clock on a Friday afternoon when everybody was, oh, we, we were just petrified. It was like we'd never driven before. And we, we managed to make it. Culture shock in reverse. But, but it was, yes, it was exactly that. It was culture shock in reverse. And we thought, well, well give us the good old days back in Ghana when the worst that was happened, you might hit a chicken crossing the road or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so we drove to Cornell and we were there for two years. And what did you study at Cornell? I studied public administration. One of the things I'd, I'd been impressed with or unimpressed with in Ghana was going into officialdom's rooms and offices and just seeing stacks and stacks of papers in all directions and people that had no idea really what they were doing except yes. if, if you gave them a proper amount of money you got from them what you wanted done. And those were those days. Those were those days, yes. And I'm sure it's different now. But anyway, mm -hmm. so I thought, well, if I can come back and get a degree in public administration, then I could go back and maybe get to the university or whatever, wherever they study public administration and, and, and help out um, by teaching. You were there at a very interesting time in Africa's history. Countries were beginning to get their independence. Mm -hmm. Was Ghana one, I'm trying to think, was Ghana one of the early Yes, ones? it was your first one, actually. The uh, first yeah, country? Yeah, in 56. 1956, okay. And so it wasn't many years, uh, six years later that you were there. Mm -hmm. It takes a while for people to figure out when they haven't been governing themselves for so long. Oh, well, yes, and it's... And it's there's different cultural norms too. I mean, what you're doing is taking many, many different tribes and telling all these people now. You're one. You're one. Don't don't think too much about your tribe. Think about Ghana. And in some cases, the border of these countries divided tribes. And if you were on one side of the, the border, you were brought up in a, by a, a French uh, colonial um, mm -hmm. culture, and, and the other side of the border. The other half of the tribe was brought up in the British colonial culture, to, to the to the extent that at one point we made efforts to go over to Abidjan, the Ivory Coast, and um, to make a phone call. We wanted to make a phone call and try to connect to his hotel and, and have a place to stay. Well, we found out that the phone call had to go from where we were in Ghana up to London, and then over from London to Paris, and then from Paris back down to Abidjan. Now, where we were to Abidjan was maybe 100 miles at the most, <laughs> but there was no connection, no, no phone connection directly like that at that point. And here we are in your lifetime. We're sitting here <laughs> yes. in Saskatchewan with a little recorder, and uh, we'll upload it on the Internet, and we'll have a podcast yes. that anybody in the world can hear, and yeah. how that must have changed all these areas around the world. Yes. That, that's, the information yeah, age. The information age. It's just amazing. So you ended up uh, teaching at the university here. Uh, you're a professor, now Professor Emeritus. You are retired. Mm -hmm. What did you teach at uh, uh, the university? Is it University of Regina? University of Regina, yes. Okay. I, I started, well, the Faculty of Administration. Okay. And so I was 
mean, it was, I was part of, I, most of my focus was on public administration, but at the beginning it was just on administration in general, organization theory and structure and so on. Okay. And I gradually, because so many people were coming from business administration backgrounds, they moved into that part and I moved into the public part and then eventually I added the international part as well. Oh, you did? I ended up as a professor of public and international administration. Professor of public and international... Well, I did most of my research actually in the United Nations system and, and amongst the United Nations organizations in London and Europe and New York. Professor of public and international... Administration. Administration. And did you ever go back to Africa? We went back in 97, 1997, um, Susan, myself, and my oldest son, Ian, and his soon-to-be wife, a fiancé at that point, Nicolina. We landed in, we flew to Dakar, um, took a boat down to Ziggenshore for uh, just for a couple of days to get a, uh, our feet back into Africa again. Yes. And then um, Ian actually had traveled in Africa before on his own. And then, um, <clears throat> by various means of transportation, went overland through Senegal, Gambia, uh, Mali, up to Mopti and uh, Djenne and so on, back down into the Ivory Coast and down to Abidjan, Imusakro, across to um, Ghana, and came back to our schools. Okay, did you go back to the school? We went back to school. Tremendously emotional experiences. I bet. What was it like? Um, so that's uh, almost uh, 40 years, 30 about, yeah, years. It's 30, 30 plus years, yeah. Okay. And uh, <coughs> actually, neither one of us, we, we went to my school first and met the head, new head, headmasters there at the time. And I, I was so um, emotionally tied up that Ian had to speak for me until I, I sort of you know, broke the ice answering a question and then I could, could talk. Um, so I looked at, he lo looked up in his records, and sure enough, yeah, there, my name was recorded for 62 to 64. We didn't stay long in, in the area, but S Susie experienced the same thing down in the gym when she went to her. The only difference was her school was now called the, the Kwame Nkrumah Secondary School. Named after the first Named prime after minister. the first prime minister, yeah. So w when you say you were emotional, what was the part that made you emotional? Just the... the passion for the area, the people? Uh, yeah, that, part of that, but I think that anybody who's going to volunteer mm. should recognize that they will get more out of it than they will give. They will, they will go to give, but they will probably, so I'm emotional about it now. You know, that makes me emotional too, because it is a... So, the, so when you get back to after, I mean, you, this was... The key, the key experience in my life. I, how could I be anything other than emotional? Mm. I've interviewed quite a few alumni, and they say the same thing. It changes your world. It changes your life. Yeah, <coughs> I don't know if it changes, but it certainly directs it in a, in a particular direction, anyway. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. That's right. That's better put. <laughs> and and you know the idea of some of the children you might have taught and who they may be today. Oh, Did you yes. find anyone? No, no, we didn't find anybody at the time. Mm -hmm. I, I kept on corresponding with a fellow for years upon years upon years. In fact, he called his first son, Robert McClary, 
Robert McLaren and Nadidi was his last name. So if anybody ever comes across a Robert McLaren Nadidi, he's not my son. <laughs> <laughs> but you taught his father. I taught his father, and he's named after me, but uh, he's not actually my son. But so How in, beautiful. In case there's any question about it. <laughs> <laughs> so as we come around to the 50th anniversary of QSO VSO, we want to, first of all, tell you that over 20 million hours have been contributed since mm -hmm. the 1960s um, and that uh, 12,000 volunteers went all over the world mm -hmm. and uh, you're part of a rich heritage of our organization. Mm -hmm. I hope you'll join us and participate in the conference and, and also to remind those that are retired and served with us before that we are we continue to recruit mm -hmm. and uh, you're actually with your experience etc an interesting person that might want to do this again in your life. Mm -hmm. could, could well be, yeah. <laughs> it's never too late. Never too late. Could well get to the conference too. My wife and I do a lot of traveling nowadays, so I mean, we have a younger son and his family living in Toronto, so oh, there's always great. an excuse for coming east. And, and right. I know, in fact, and a daughter and her husband who live in Connecticut. So there's, there's all kinds of connections. June 2011. June 20 in 1902. June 20, June 20, oh, June. June, June 2011. And we'll have a website and we'll be uploading your story along with stories from other alumni. And again, we were honored for your service to the organization and thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. All right, have a great day.